We will be uh, looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 this morning. Um, so I gave myself like four verses. Uh, <laughs> Daniel's going to be speaking next week, and I assigned him like 30-something verses. So <laughs> I figured he, would up, he was up to the task, so I just gave myself these four um, so last week, as we walked with the uh, gospel writer here, we considered this story about Jesus healing a paralytic, a paralyzed man, and we reflected on the qualities of true friendship that were displayed by these friends as, as they came in faith, right? Remember that? As they brought the man in faith. Uh, Daniel and I have had some dialogue about what that meant. And that Jesus saw their faith, this collective faith, responded to that faith. Um, but Jesus saw the need, as we talked about last week too, beyond the need that was shouting the loudest, the need that this man had physically, that this, that this paralyzed man was really paralyzed in spirit, that he needed the forgiveness of sins, he needed to be restored to his heavenly Father. Um, this, that story last week was the first in the series of five conflicts that, that Mark kind of clumps together as we see this, this opposition from, maybe you think ironically, but the opposition comes strongest from the religious establishment of the day, and it starts mounting against Jesus. They were appalled that Jesus would even suggest that he could forgive sins, how could a man do that? That was, the, uh, that was in the power and the right of God and God alone. And this week, the, this, this little exchange will come into in the middle of chapter 2. The religious leaders are horrified by Jesus' choice of company. Um, that Jesus becomes, as we sang this morning, a friend of sinners. So let's start. We're just going to take this in little chunks. Um, I guess we actually have uh, five verses. We'll, we'll start with the first two. I'm going to read Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, which is the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, we, he saw Levi son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. So we have this, what seems like a pretty simple exchange. We have some dynamics that we've already seen so early in the Gospel of Mark that are becoming familiar to us. Um, the story is, is pretty reminiscent of what we went over in chapter 1 as Jesus called Simon and Andrew, two brothers, and then James and John, two brothers, the sons of thunder. Um, Jesus is moving. He's moving with a large crowd. His ministry is mobile. He's teaching on the move, and, and again, we, we see him often outside teaching. He teaches in the synagogues, but he also teaches on the shorelines. He'll go in a boat. He'll go on a hillside. He's very creative. He doesn't limit his ministry opportunities to structured, you know, church times. And 
During this, Jesus calls a prospective disciple, and this disciple, as we saw with Simon, who is Peter, and, and Andrew, and James and John, leaves his situation and follows Jesus immediately, as Mark likes to say, immediately. But, but the difference with Levi was how Levi would have been perceived in this culture. Uh, after this, we're going to find ourselves, as we read a little further, we, we find Jesus at a dinner party. And, and um, we'll read those verses in a couple of minutes. And, and this dinner party, we're, we're told in the NIV that I read out of the New International Version, it says that this dinner party happens at Levi's house. And it very well could have been at Levi's house um, the original language in the Greek actually just says his house. So there's actually another possibility. It very well may have been Levi's house, but it also could have been whose house? Yeah, it could have been the house that Jesus was staying at, which would have maybe even more, more scandalous to the religious leaders. He may have not just been a guest of this party. Jesus may have actually been the host of the party. Um, this person, Levi, that's called, is often connected with Matthew. Um, there's a nearly identical story in Matthew chapter 9, so many people uh, think that this may have been one and the same person, and it may have been it may not have been. We really don't know. It could, it could have been, it could have been uh, that this was a different man in a very similar situation. We'll even see that as this party goes on, there were other people, other tax collectors, just like uh, Levi, just like Matthew, so it wasn't an isolated incident. He's Jewish, so he's working with the Herods, um, and even worse, he's working with Rome. So he's a Jewish person... Um, that's an agent of the occupying nation. So if you can imagine that, and again, it might be a stretch to you, so say Russia or China comes in and somehow uh, uh, overwhelms and occupies America, and then one of your friends in turn starts working for the Russian government, the Chinese government in America, you think about how you might perceive that. Um, they were considered in their culture as traitors. They were considered, and also this was kind of a, a way to get rich quick because what they would do is that they were very known to be dishonest and to line their own pockets. So they were traitors that practiced extortion against their own people. And this was just the common knowledge of um, who they were. They, they rubbed shoulders regularly with Gentiles. So they, they, would, be cut off from, they would be cut off from the synagogue. Uh, they would be cut off from their families. They would be considered ritually unclean because of the way they lived their life and their constant contact with non-Jews. We could say in a sense that they were social lepers, a sort of social leper, but, but almost by choice. Um, and their choice was very often greed. It, it was to value money more than God, more than family, more than nation. And again, you can just imagine that your common Jew would have taken great offense at this. Um, and their, their, their circle of friends would invariably only be those who have chosen likewise. Um, 
I suspect that this was very difficult for Levi's family. Uh, Levi, he was probably someone that was born into the priestly line. And, and if you could just imagine that, that their son has now walked away from God, walked away from family to get rich quick, and just kind of turned his back on that all. And it struck me because the, the, the phrase that I had in mind, we sang this morning, Levi would have been a lost cause. Right? They would have said, Levi's a lost cause. And certainly an embarrassment and a headache to his family. Maybe not a headache, maybe a heartache to his family. Um, but there's no lost causes with God. There's not. And, and it's so hard for us to accept, right? When we've been praying for a really long time and talking for a really long time, but there's just not. There's no lost causes. And I just wonder, like, maybe even just pause for a minute, like, who's the lost cause in your heart? Levi was a lost cause. And, and, and I, just, I just say, as long, do, do they still have breath? As long as they still have breath in their lungs, they're not a lost cause. Um... Everyone would have been stunned by Jesus choosing Levi. So you got to see that. Like, like Levi doesn't himself come and start following Jesus. Jesus chooses Levi, and that would have shocked everyone. Now, it certainly shocked the religious elite, but it, it also would have shocked every common Jew. Peter, James, John, um, Andrew, they, they all would have, you know, they are the ones that are looking to Jesus. Maybe he's the Messiah. And who's the Messiah in their mind? They, Messiah is going to be one that gets Israel back to its rightful place. And we could shed off the oppression of Rome. And then he calls Levi. <laughs> that, that, would have been, that would have been jarring to them. It, it's, Jesus calls an intensely diverse group of disciples... And he's still doing that, folks. He's still doing that. And, and they come from different occupations. They come from different social classes. They come from widely different politics. Um, I, I imagine if you, and I'm not saying you are this, but just imagine if you were starting to feel confirmation that Jesus was forming a group that supported, if you were inclined this way, kind of your right-wing, nationalistic, isolationist, uh, conservative political views. You say, ah, okay, maybe so-and-so fits that. All right, Jesus. Oh, okay, you got Simon. Maybe his politics are the same as mine. Oh, Andrew. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes up and calls Nancy Pelosi. And, and Nancy, come, follow me. And Nancy gets up, says yes, and follows. Welcome to our group, Nancy. And then Nancy says, I'm going to throw a party. And I'm going to invite all my left-wing friends. And you, as Jesus' follower... <laughs> 
go to the party. Feeling comfortable? And again, in different settings, we could just flip that script. We could, I could be in the middle of Philadelphia speaking in a, in a much different setting, and I could say, I could just flip it all around, right? And they would squirm just as much as some of you are squirming. But Jesus wasn't concerned with aligning with anyone's politics or their religious views, for that matter. He still isn't. He still isn't. I always love Martin, uh, Mar uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said, Jesus isn't a Democrat or Republican. <laughs> He's not concerned about aligning with your politics. He's not concerned about relining, lining up with your religious views and traditions. He calls people from all walks and all conditions to align themselves with him. And that should transform everybody who aligns themselves with him. And Jesus calls Levi not to continue in the life that he knew it, as he knew it, but he calls him into this new life of following his teaching, his lead, his example, under the kingdom rule of God. Follow me is as much of a command as it is an invitation. So, so when, when, when followed, when responded to, where someone comes from is a lot less important than where they're going. For Levi, this meant walking away from a really lucrative job. <laughs> um, these men were known to make a lot of money. There was advantages to the corruption, as again, there still is in politics today. Uh, even, you know, um, even in our country, right? So he, he, it had its, its advantages. So he walked away from it. And, and the, the fishermen that walked away from their nets, you could say Levi took another step. Like the fishermen could always go back to fishing, and at times they did, right? Well, don't know what to do now. Let's go fishing. Levi didn't have the tax booth to go back to. It seems pretty assured that as soon as he walked away from it, that was it. Opportunity gone. That's, you had that opportunity. Now someone else filled that void. The call of Jesus always at some level calls us away from one form of life and into another. And I've said already here that this doesn't necessarily mean job. It may be that, but it's likely not that for a lot of us. But it's how we prioritize and order our lives. That Jesus is calling me away and to leave behind a life dictated on my own terms. I'm my master. I'm my own God. I make my decisions. I know what's right. I, I can figure it all out in my head. I know my politics. I know how I should handle my money. I know I sh how I should handle my family. Right? So it's a life dictated on my own terms, and I need to walk away from that and leave that behind. And then when I follow Jesus, I'm walking to life dictated on his terms, under his beautiful lordship. Verses 15 and 16, when Jesus was... While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, or his house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. Notice sinners are in, is in quotations there. For we, 
for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Notice they they weren't yet bold enough even to approach Jesus. It's like, hey, hey, Andrew, what is going on here? The, The religious leaders that were observing Jesus were hypersensitive to this concept of being separate. Now, to be fair, that's what holiness means. It means to be other, to be set apart. And they were hypersensitive to this idea of being separate from the world for God's sake in their morality, in their actions, in their religious scruples, in their associations. So from their perspective, Jesus was clearly and shockingly hanging out with the wrong crowd. A crowd that would certainly soil not only his reputation, maybe his morals, certainly his ritual cleanliness. Uh, For the religious leaders, theirs was an us and them mentality. Levi and people like him were sinners. They, they They didn't follow the Mosaic law as it was interpreted strictly and by these uh, religious leaders and they had all their traditions and restrictions and and the logic of these religious leaders would be much the same as legalisms are today. You know, God says this is healthy, this is unhealthy, Um, I'm I'm creating this healthy boundary for you. And the legalism says, well, if God puts a boundary here, then then I'm better off putting it here, and then maybe I'm better off putting it here, maybe I'm better off putting it here and here and here and here and here, because now I'm much safer and obviously much more holy than I was before, because if God set that boundary, this is clearly better. And then this becomes the new order. This becomes the new religion. This becomes what God dictated. But did he? No. Not at all. John Phillips says um, that these men wrote the graffiti of their own man-made traditions all over the wall of the word of God. I thought that was interesting. I'm just picturing them spray painting the graffiti of their man-made traditions. And and much to their dismay, Jesus had no regard for their traditions, (laughs) for their their life-sapping add-ons. From their perspective, from the Pharisees' perspective, sinners should be kept at arm's length. Because... If I can keep them at arm's length, then I won't be, I won't be tainted. There should be walls put up to keep the sinner out. That was the Pharisees' mentality. And from Jesus' perspective, he says, I need to go to the other side of the wall. And I need to enter into the out there. And he does this so much, he exemplifies this so much that he comes from the glories of heaven and comes to earth, comes from the right hand of the Father and comes to earth and puts on flesh and dwells among us. 
He says, I I need to go to them to love them and to rescue them. (coughs) Too many Christians today still have the pharisaical perspective coined by Jonathan Swift, who lived hundreds of years ago. Jonathan Swift, who says, We are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. There's room enough in hell for you. We can't have heaven crammed. Now, not a lot of people would say that, but I know people with that attitude. David Garland said, this is a really good quote, um, if the object of religious life is believed to be the preservation of purity, whether ritual or doctrinal, one tends to look at all others as potential polluters who will make them impure. Jesus rejects this perspective. If the object of religious life is believed to be the preservation of purity, whether ritual or doctrinal, one tends to look at all others as potential polluters who will make one impure. Jesus rejects this perspective. Now, Jesus isn't just snubbing kind of what we might think of as religious stuffiness. Um, And he wasn't ignoring the, the law of God handed down through Moses. He came to fulfill the law. Instead, he was displaying the difference between the heart and the way of God versus the way of religion that's based on man-made rules and traditions. And one is a pathway of life and the other is a pathway to death. And Jesus shows the heart and way of God and how it clashes with the religion of these men as he calls Levi, the sinner, into his fold. And then he goes and he accepts this invitation to eat at Levi's home or maybe even host him and his friends at his own home. And he's eating at his table, which even now is still a, a, a show of acceptance, but even then more so a show of acceptance and friendship. Intimate friendship. Levi, you traitor. Levi, you extortionist. Levi, you one who has has no care and no concern about turning your back on God and family and nation. Jesus comes and eats at his table. Some of you have a hard time believing that God would, Jesus would do that for you. Some of you have the opposite problem. You think that you deserve to have him at your table. But some of you say, I'm not sure he'd want to do that. But I can assure you if he's doing it for Levi, he wants to do it with you. That he wants to call you out, make you a new Levi, and befriend a sinner, and say, follow me, And let's have fellowship together. Now, one of the struggles here is is the tension that Jesus' example has with the proverb later quoted by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 that says, bad company corrupts good character. And and I could just hear the, the teenager saying to mom and dad, you know, didn't you hear Pastor Randy last week? Of course I should go to that party. That yes, they'll have pot there. Yes, there'll be some underage drinking. Remember Levi, Mom. It's just I'm just going to hang out and be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It, 
What's that? Yeah, right? It does. It sound, that's exactly what I'm saying. Good. I'm glad you're picking that up, Nick. <laughs> uh, this may be to miss the point, though. Um, that Jesus certainly wasn't afraid to hang out with the wrong crowd, even, even so much that he was slandered. It's interesting. Jesus says of himself that he was slandered, that people called him um, a glutton and a drunkard. Now, which he wasn't, but people, it was kind of that good old guilty by association. You say, oh, if he's hanging out with them, if he's hanging out with the kid that's smoking pot, he must be smoking pot, right? So, you know, people are talking. But, but it wasn't that Jesus was a partier. That, that's to miss the point. That's what, the, that's what outsiders were accusing him of. The, the point was is that he refused to insulate himself from those who needed him most. He refused to insulate himself from those who needed him most. And he didn't expect people to clean up their lives. You know, Chuck, yeah, you may be a hypocrite. Welcome to a group that struggle with hypocrisy. Come on. Right? Dylan, I know you're, I know you're struggling, and I know there's questions, and I know, I know you know, you, you feel like you're, you may be making some mistakes, and, and it's all right. Come on. He, he wasn't going to insulate himself. And we so often do that, right? We, he doesn't expect people to clean up their lives. He, he, he goes to them, and he loves them where they are, and he rescues them in that place, and he befriends them. This takes some godly wisdom, right? It, it takes, uh, it's interesting, Donald English says, we are called neither recklessly to risk ourselves nor timidly to secure ourselves but to find the point of life-giving tension between the two. So take some wisdom. I, I, if I'm saying, hey, I want to go to the party and I'm just going to hang out with some ruffians and I'm going to show the love of Jesus and I need to check my heart and what's there and what, you know, what, what are my inclinations? What are my weaknesses? What are my motivations? Why am I really going there? But on the flip side, there's so often that we need to push past fear and we need to push past the concern of what others might think of us and we must push past the guilty by association and just love people where they're at and push past the, the religious snobbery of what people might think. And the beauty of this is that Jesus... We see people coming to Jesus, people that we would say would never darken the door of a church. And they just love Jesus. You say, what was it about Jesus? And Jesus didn't say, go do whatever you want. He said, come follow me. And Levi, who has this specific realm of influence, then invites all his friends. And, and, and I've said before, you guys have a specific realm of influence that I don't have. And we always got to be thinking like Levi, what's my realm of influence that Jesus wants to enter into? Lastly, verse 17. On hearing this, so Jesus picks this up and it's striking. I mean, this might have been a buzzing party, a lot of people talking, a lot of people laughing. Someone says this to someone else and it says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. And when Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, we should hear in this irony. Because what he's talking about are the self-righteous. Those who see themselves as being right 
before God by their own merits. They were the good people in their mind. We're the good people. People like Levi are the bad people. We deserve God's favor because we're so religious and we live by all the standards. Someone like Levi deserves God's condemnation. So why in the world is Jesus hanging out with them? But God's scales of goodness and worthiness are not like ours. We always work on a sliding scale. Right? Even in prison, the murderer says, well, I'm not the child molester. Right? It's always a sliding scale. It's always, well, I'm not that. Well, at least I'm not that. At least I'm not that. I'm pretty good. But God doesn't work on a sliding scale. His scale is always his perfect righteousness. And to that, we all fall short. But as John Phillips writes, no one is too bad for the Lord Jesus to save. No one is too bad for the Lord Jesus to save, but many people think themselves too good to need salvation. Hmm. And the religious leaders fooled themselves that they were too good, that they were healthy. And people like Levi clearly said, no, I'm not healthy, I'm sick, and I need a doctor. And Jesus says, well, here I am, because doctors are for sick people. So there's a few challenges as we wrap up here. To the one who feels like they're the lost cause. There's no such thing as a lost cause with God. Can you see Jesus coming to you? Can you hear Jesus calling you? Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, come, let's do life together, follow me. Can you see that he wants to, in all his rightness and beauty and power, sit and have table fellowship with you? How will you respond? To the self-righteous who feel comfortable that they're really a good person before God, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, the religious leaders, that they're spiritually healthy because of their high morals and their correct doctrines. Of course, we understand it just right. And their religious devotion... Can you hear God's word when it says in Romans chapter 3, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And can you imagine that maybe you're not as healthy as you imagine, as you imagine yourself? And that when you're weighed on the standard of God's perfect righteousness, you will be found wanting no matter how devoted you are, no matter how few curses that you have said in your life or dirty magazines you looked at or been on the internet. I, great. I'm glad you're a high moral person, but the scale is not a sliding scale. But as, as you realize that, can you also realize that Jesus says, ah, I'm the doctor for the sick. And as soon as you realize there's that cancer of sin growing in you, I'm here to heal you. And then to those who try and insulate themselves from being soiled by the world. Can you understand, as David Garland writes, one cannot win people with whom one will not, is not willing to eat. One cannot win people with whom one is not willing to eat. Embrace Christian community, absolutely. But we have to be willing to also step beyond the wall. We have to be able to embrace the same mission of Jesus. And that's 
not done in just the safety of church buildings and Bible studies. It's taking what we learn together here as we're built up and saying, that's what I do in my workplace and my family and, and the supermarket and with my kids. How will you respond? Tony Campolo, um, some of you know this story. I've heard this, but it's great. Tony Campolo once flew to Honolulu. I say Tony Campolo, and some of you right away go, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, and some of you are like, yeah. Um, and uh, he was unable to sleep because of the flight, and he went in the middle of the night to a, a diner, a local diner. And while he was at the diner, he hears a group of prostitutes talking. And, and one of the prostitutes says it's going to be their, her 39th birthday tomorrow. And kind of snidely, another one says, well, what do you want, a party? And she gets defensive, and she says, well, I, I've never had a party in my whole life. Why would I want one now? So they leave, and Tony Campolo goes to the diner owner and says, can we bake a cake? Can we bake a birthday cake? And he makes this little, little plan, and, and somehow he, he lets these other gals know. And the next evening, the woman comes in, and her small group of friends, and Tony's there, and the diner owner's there, and they say, happy birthday! And, and they give her this cake. And she takes the cake like it's a, like it's a prize. She's never had a birthday cake. She takes it, and she says, can I, can I bring this home? I've never had a birthday cake before. And... and uh, so Tony says, you know, they, they celebrate a little bit. And Tony, before she leaves, Tony says, can I pray for you? And she pray, he prays for her just for her goodness, for, for freedom from the life that she's living, for her salvation. And, and when, they all, when the gals leave, uh, the, the, the owner of the diner says, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. He says, what kind of church do you belong to? And Tony simply replies, the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes 3.30 in the morning. I love that. The world doesn't need a church that safeguards and insulates itself from sinners, quote unquote. But rather a church that represents Jesus to, as people who have themselves as sinners being called and welcomed to his table who as Jesus' ambassadors go out and welcome other sinners to the table so that their sin-sick souls can find healing from Dr. Jesus. So, Steve.